God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us on Easter. It's just such a fun thing. I'm glad he's alive. I am so glad he's alive, and I believe that with all of my heart. You know, you always have a challenge when you come to Easter to think about he is risen. That's the message. And we've been in the book of Mark, if you've been coming to Timberline. We've done a series that leads right up to Mark chapter 16. So I'm going to read where it happened. Follow along. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been put aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell the disciples, and I love this next line, including who? What was Peter's last connection with Jesus? He denied him. And so this angel has been instructed by God, make sure and include Peter. He knows, we, he, we want him to know we want him there. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. You know, as I think about the filters of Easter, and I want to look at four different responses today from the Bible characters, but I also want to include you. You have a different filter of thinking than I do. We all have different filters. And I think you'll agree with me. If you are born and raised in a farm in Kansas, do you have a different way of thinking about life than someone who grew up in downtown New York City? What would be different? Everything. Everything. If you grew up in a foster home or a single parent home, if you grew up with lots of relatives or not, your filter is different. Dick Foth, who's on our teaching team here at Timberline, was in a rotary group that I go to, and he was the speaker, and he was talking about our filters, and he said, for instance, if you have a lot of siblings, and then he said, how many of you have five or more? Hands went up, and he said, six or more. Hands started going down. He got all the way to ten. And finally, the last guy in the room, ten siblings, ten kids in the family. And Dick said, well, I can tell you something about you. And he said, what? And he said, you understand hand-me-down clothing. <laughs> and the guy actually smiled and said, no, I don't. And Foe said, what do you mean? And he said, I have nine sisters. <laughs> True story, I was there. I have nine. I've been praying for that, gentlemen. Um, that put some different filters in your life. We all have it. So, so I want to really have you open up your filter. I want you to say, who am I in the Easter story? How do I think about this? What, what do I need from the story that's different than everybody else? And, and I want you to have an openness of heart and mind because the Lord does want you to respond to him in honesty. 
the first response that I want to talk about in your outline, if you have a program, you can go to the back page, and there are four of them. Fill in the blanks there. Will my response be like Pilate? Will my response be like Pilate? Now, let me tell you who Pilate was. He was the governor. He was the boss. He was the one with all the authority and all the power. Pilate had the ability to say, Jesus, you're going free today. He also had the ability to do what he did, which was, you're going to be crucified today. He wasn't Roman, so this whole thing didn't, I mean, he wasn't Jewish, and so this whole thing didn't impact him in a great way. As a matter of fact, he didn't understand the culture he was in and was bothered by it. But how weird that his wife, the only mention of Pilate's wife in the whole Bible is one little obscure verse in Matthew that says, basically, a note sent to Pilate saying, honey, don't mess with this guy today. I've been having dreams about him, and it's messed up my whole day. It's weird. Something's wrong. So, so he's feeling this warning from her how randomly that happens. But let me just read you the account. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And the Jews had him there, and they were shouting. It was like a riot. They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder. Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water. Notice this. He washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is whose? Yours. In other words, it's on you. So, so what I have here today, we were very fortunate to get this through Amazon Prime. I have the exact bowl. <laughs> this is the bowl that Pilate used. I'm going to have someone come up and say, really? No. There's real water in here. This is the exact water. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I, I want you to have this image. So, so Pilate, they bring out this bowl of water. Okay, everybody, I don't get this. I don't think this guy's done anything wrong. I am washing my hands of this. This is ridiculous. I don't know what you're doing, but it's not on me. I think he's thinking of God. It's not on me. This is on you. I'm opinionless. And you know what he does? He thinks that he's rid of the responsibility. Just like a whole lot of people in America. I wonder sometimes when people say to me, oh, I don't do the Jesus thing. I don't really, I'm not religious. I don't, I don't really have an opinion about that. You do what you want and it'll all work out in the end. You know, we'll, we'll find out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus made a claim to be the son of God. You need to have an opinion about that. You say, well, I don't, I've washed my hands of the whole, sorry. You don't get to. This is, this is a huge challenge for people who want to stay in neutral. I want to just say it like this. Indifference is a decision. You know, when we had our, our, our three children, if I would have said to my wife and to the, our kids, um, yeah, I don't really care what you do with them. Oh, it doesn't matter. 
Uh, just do what you want. Take, uh, let, them, let them go where they want. I, indifference does not help. And so I'm gonna, I want to challenge you. If your response is like Pilate to say, well, that's really not my business. I don't really know. I haven't really formed these opinions. I just want to stop you and challenge you a little bit to say, of all the people who have ever walked on the earth, when it comes to your eternity, make sure you have an opinion about Jesus. I would rather you say, I don't believe in him. It's all a lie. I don't care. I'm an atheist. I'd rather you say that than to say, oh, it's all okay. It'll all work out in the end. Because this impacts your eternity, what you believe about him. And you need to know that. You can't just be Pilate in the story. But Pilate is a decision of indifference. The second the second response that I see in Scripture is, is one that makes me very sad, and it's, will I respond like, like Judas? Judas is, man, he's, he's really a it's, a, tough, it's a tough one for me, because many scholars, if you study his life, he was trusted by the disciples. He, he was actually the treasure. He, he had all the money when the, the disciples traveled, so it's not like they suspected him of something. He was a, a pretty straight-up guy, and they believed in him. I think he was very passionate about making sure that Jesus got the recognition that he would get, and he might have tried to hurry it along. In his mind, some scholars say he probably did this to try to put Jesus, you know, they use the term, in a pickle, like, in a problem so that he would have to come out fighting and show that he's the son of God and blow up Rome. And it backfired on Judas because that was not the plan of Jesus. You ever have plans that aren't God's? <laughs> you, ever, you ever try to do stuff your way and it's not exactly what God had in mind? That's Judas. Let me read it. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death then they bound him, they led him away, and they took him to who? Pilate, there he is, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, which I think he was shocked, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders, and he said, I have sinned, he declared. I have betrayed an innocent man. Look at their response. Boy, this is so typical in our world today. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and hanged himself. Listen, Peter denied the Lord, but was forgiven and reengaged and became a great man of God. When I think that Judas and what he could have become, it is a tragedy that he let that shame, that remorse, that guilt, he could not forgive himself. You guys ever get under that weight of I just don't want to be alive anymore? You know, when we talk about someone taking their life, it touches all of us deeply. Some, some of you in here in the South Living Room, it's very personal to you right now because we have more than our share of, of suicide here in northern Colorado. And I'll tell you, when it touches you, you, you ask the question, how did that happen? I can't believe it. They seemed fine to me. I don't understand. And it's not necessarily related to someone's fault as a parent or a sibling or a friend. You don't see it coming, but I'll tell you what happens. That first seed Satan tries to put on us, 
is a chain. It's heavy. And he tries to strap us down with guilt. And that guilt, you know what happens? That guilt, we start to wear it. And it starts to bear on us. And that guilt turns into despair. And someone else notices it. Someone else notices that we don't. Stop it. This is a long chain. And it really is a chain and it's very heavy. But this is what Judas had on him. He was walking around, but wait, wait, I made a mistake. I don't know what to do. We don't care. Well, then I, then I can't live. I'm, I'm not able to live. Because we have resurrection so that you can get the chains off of you. We have resurrection so that you don't have to live into the bondage of your sin and your guilt and your shame. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. No, I don't, but God does. And God chooses to love you. That's why in the name of Jesus you got to get rid of this. Lost my microphone. See, it'll take everything from you. <laughs> you got to get rid of that. Judas couldn't shake it. And that's what happens to so many people with guilt and regret and shame. And they think dying is better than living, but that's not God's way. What is your response? Don't let it be a response like Judas. I can't bear it. Because Jesus came to set you free. And that's more than a cliche. He really did come to set you free. Well, let's move on to something not quite so sad. But uh, this guy, one of my favorite guys, number three. Will my response be like Thomas? I know, I know. What do we call him? Say it again. Doubting Thomas. Good grief. It's been over 2,000 years. You think we would give some grace? Doubting Thomas. He's labeled for the rest of his life because he doubted just like I do, just like you do. And, and I think it's so sad that that's what we call him. But he's a normal guy. Now, I told you before, I see humor in Scripture when no one else does, so bear with me as I read through this. It's crazy. In John 20, it says, One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. How many of you have one of those kinds of lives? Everybody's there, but not you. Everyone made the party, just not you. Everyone got the notice, just not you. To me, it's crazy that all of them were there. Thomas was not there. So they told him, we have seen the Lord. I think this just made him shake his head and get angry and frustrated and he's like yeah right whatever he says I won't believe it unless the nail wounds in his hands I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side you know why he said that because he was there on the hill and he witnessed what happened this he knows think about this this he knows I saw the sword go in the skin. I saw the nails in his, that I know. So until I, you think you can pop in here and tell me? 
until my hands go in those wounds and into that side. You can forget it. Eight days later, <laughs> the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Yay. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He just appeared. This is the second time he's done this. He just appears out of nowhere. Good thing he said, peace be with you, or they had all creeped out, right? Then he said to Thomas, he points him out. Put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my wound, in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then how did Thomas respond to that? My Lord and my God. I want you to think about that in light of what Thomas needed because we all need something. So I have what Thomas needed. A hand. He needed touch. And you can come and look at this later. It's really creepy, actually. It's got like little dirt in the nail cubicles right here. Anyway. Thomas needed to touch. He said, put your hand in my side. Touch me. Put your hand in the hole. You guys, this is like an explicit kind of, I don't know if you like to touch people's wounds or not. I don't. Jesus was doing something over the top at what was an exaggerated request. Unless I touch the scar in his side, unless I put my finger in the hole where his hand was pierced, I'm not going to believe. Okay, Jesus shows up and says, why don't we do that? Is that really what you want? And I think Thomas is just blown away. No wonder, I think he steps back almost in unbelief that this is really happening. My Lord and my God, this is you. And then I think he looks at the disciples, you know, and they're probably going, I told you so. <laughs> he realizes now he has seen for himself. Now, this is normally the part when a preacher would say, don't ever doubt the Lord. Trust him. He's trustworthy. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. But I'm not going to say that. You know what I'm going to say instead? When you doubt the Lord, why don't you tell him about it? Why don't you tell God you're mad at him if you're mad? Why don't you just go ahead? Thomas, I love him. Thomas was honest. God can handle your honesty more than anything else in your life. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. This ain't God's first rodeo. He's heard a lot of doubt. He's had a fist shaken at him. He's had people rebuke him and damn him. But I'll promise you this, he's chasing you down. And he loves you more than you love him. And he knows where you are more than you know where he is. And his pursuit is relentless. And he will find you because he loves you. So why don't you just say, God, this is where I'm really at. This is honest. 
this is me with nothing else because I have nothing else. He did it for Thomas. I believe he'll do it for you. The last response that I want to talk about today is the response of the Roman officer. I mentioned him last week, but I want to just say a couple other things about him. In Matthew 27, there's a verse that talks about several of the officers that were putting Jesus through the crucifixion. And it says the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they also said, this man was truly the Son of God. Does that sound familiar? For Thomas, it was touching his side. So what was it for for this guy? This would be a centurion. Now this sword is a very serious weapon, and it's beautiful. This sword represents the power of Rome. And this officer had that power. He led armies. And they always had someone in charge at these crucifixions. They didn't necessarily engage in the acts of violence, but in moving up in the ranks, these guys have probably slaughtered more people than we could even imagine. They're calloused to the whole thing. They're kind of immovable. And I want you to think of that because these guys have seen so many people killed. Crucifixion was not something that only Jesus had. I mean, at the time he was crucified, two other people were on crosses. This was a common happening with Rome, with people who would betray the Roman government. And they would crucify him as a statement of, uh, you don't want to be like them. So this was an everyday common part of this guy's life. I mean, he could eat his sandwich and watch a head taken off and not even think about, about it another second. There's a callousness there. I'm used to this kind of thing. So what happened? I think several things happened. I think one of the things that happened is this guy absolutely watched the whole crucifixion scene from a distance, and he saw Jesus die. Now, when he died, he had a lot of thoughts about this man because I don't think he had ever seen anyone crucified who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't think anyone had ever said that. I don't think he had ever seen anyone refuse the wine gall to help deaden the pain because Jesus wanted to feel the pain of our sin. I don't think he had ever seen or witnessed anyone give care for their mother when they are dying and saying, John, take care of of mom. I think that all was part of it. But then when, when Jesus died and he gave up his last breath, what happened in nature? You guys remember? The earth coughed. There was a huge earthquake. And blackness, it could have been just heaps of rain. How many of you have ever been in an earthquake? I mean, we probably all have, but we haven't felt it. But how many of you have been in one you felt? Yeah, creepy. That soldier was literally going, okay, guys, this, this is a little different than the folks we killed last week. And it all happened. And here's what I want you to hear. God, God actually used nature to show a calloused, hardened Roman soldier that this was no ordinary death. 
I see people all the time who grew up in church. They get calloused, been there, done that. They've taken communion so many times it doesn't mean anything to them anymore. They know what to do. They know the rules. They know what not to do. But they've lost their passion for the truth. And they need an earthquake in their life. They need a thunderstorm. Do you know that sometimes people don't come to faith really and give it all until they face the biggest storm they've ever faced in their life? God wants you to believe in him. And I want you to seek him. And whatever your story is today, my prayer for you is that you will give God a chance to reveal himself to you, whether it's in the storm, whether it's in the rain or the earthquake of your life. I want you to be able to say, Lord, I trust you with my life. That's the heart of everything we're doing today. This is not just a fun day where we come and say, yay, God. This is the beginning of a new work in your life that goes on all through eternity. And I am thankful most for that. Don't grow calloused. Don't lose your passion. Don't be the Roman soldier who needs an earthquake to be awakened. But instead, give yourself fully to God now. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. There are no scare tactics here about what might happen or could happen, but there is a reality that life without you leads to despair. And we don't want that. I don't want that for anybody in these rooms. Help us today to get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say some things and a lot of people don't like to lift their hand in church and it's not for me to see. I, I'm not even going to look around. I don't even care about that. But when you lift your hand, sometimes something happens that's really good. It's an acknowledgement of, yeah, I'm saying yes, God, to you. Not, not the people around me, just to you. And if you want to actually just move your finger up and down, that's fine too. It doesn't have to be physical so everyone can see. But I'm just going to ask you, if you need a spiritual awakening in your life and your soul, would you respond now, please, and put it right back down? God bless you. If you need to have some chains removed, would you put your hand up and back down again? If you have shame and despair in your life to the point that it's hindering your full potential, would you just put your hand up and back down again? If you need a personal experience with Jesus, would you put your hand up and back down again? Lord, we come with so many different needs. But you're a God who knows and cares. And you are willing to come to where we are. You showed up where Thomas was. You died right in front of a centurion soldier. You moved the earth for that soldier. Thank you for love so great and so powerful that we cannot run away from it. Help it to stick today in our hearts. 
And help us, God, as we move into this next series, even next week, when we start unpacking some of what it means to live free, that this will really make a difference in our lives. That we'll hold on to this moment of truth and we'll take it to another level in our lives. Lord, thank you for these who have responded. Remind them this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow that they've made a big decision to trust you with their pain. We give it to you and we want your freedom. We've tried the other stuff, but today we lean hard on you. Show us how and where to run. Give people hope today as they walk out of these rooms. We trust you in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said amen. Amen.